right, welcome to episode 13 of the Strength Ratio podcast. This is Zach Greenwald here. Neither Kyle nor Eric Sobolski are with me today, but we have with us a very special guest. Uh, he's been to a few local meets. He's coached uh, some up-and-coming athletes and recently got his level one. <laughs> I was waiting for the end of that one. <laughs> no, hardly. Uh, we have a very uh, enthusiastic, very experienced, very well-respected coach, Danny Carmago, a good friend of ours on the other line. Danny, welcome, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, and one of your patients. Can I call Can I call myself a patient? Uh, maybe clients, just so no one tries to sue us. I don't know if they could sue us over that language, yeah. but... Um, client, I mean, a client, well, a layman as it, re- as it relates to what work you did for me. I wanted to thank you and for your <laughs> listeners that are, that are, that are, that are, uh, hearing this right now. Um, the post surgery stuff you helped me out with being your client. Listen, I am 10 months out right now and I should have sent you a video, man. I, I had, Oh, I saw oh, it. Did. Okay. So I'm right at 82% of both wow. lifts of what I was doing before my, my injury, man. A lot of that, all of that, I should say, man, thanks to you and what you helped me get through after surgery. Cause uh, I was bummed for a while. Well, no, I, I'm really glad we connected, but I'm, I'm even more excited to see that it's just continued to progress in such a positive direction and to get to 82%, nine, 10 months after it's huge. It's hard when you're in the middle of it, especially in those early stages, yeah. right? But it kind of comes on in an accelerated yeah, fashion. Yeah, I wasn't stupid so, this time. No. So, I'm... <laughs> no, that's that's great. Yeah, I saw the videos and I was just super pumped. It, it was a hundred in the snatch. I saw. Yeah. I didn't. I don't think I saw oh, a clean and jerk. Maybe one five. Yeah, hundred snatch, one ten clean and jerk. Uh, oh, awesome. Old forty-one year old. I'm I'm happy about those numbers. And that's only eight percent. So if I can get back to where I was. I'm going to give a crack at this master's division stuff. Maybe we get to that in this topic or not. I don't know. But, um, you know, the master's community has grown and it is definitely a little – carries a little bit more prestige than it once did. And I figured I'd give it a shot just this one this one year. It's, it's hard to dedicate training time when I have so many athletes that depend on me and whining and crying all the time. But it's my job. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm blessed with that, but, uh, exercise is different. Training is a whole different level. It's been tough, but I think I can get through this year. All right. Do you find that you're able to, at this point, take to training with an intensity that somewhat resembles what it used to be, at least to maybe like the rituals and, and mindset you take to it, even though the loads and, and maybe the overall For volume sure. is slightly different? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, psychologically, it feels the same. Um, you know, it's the thoughts I have about it when I'm not in the gym, um, the preparation, uh, the mindset during training. Um, it's just too bad that 20 years later, physically doesn't feel the exact same. Um, but uh, you know what? I can't complain. Every day above ground is a good day. So, I hear you. So. You know, we and you and you have had quite the uh, esteemed history, and, and you've had a, a lot of time as an athlete, and that has helped formed your your later coaching years. I'm, I'm certain, but I'd like to spend a, a good chunk of time talking about Danny as the coach, as most of us uh, know you or have seen you, and maybe dive a little yeah. bit deeper on that. And I kind of want to start with the question of day-to-day, you know, when you plan out uh, kind of like your your athlete's macro cycles and, and think of your own involvement there, uh, whether it's at a national meet or an international meet, what do you strive to accomplish? Uh, whether that's something you're striving to accomplish for the athlete, you're, it's something that you're striving to accomplish for perhaps the brand or all of USA weightlifting, because in many ways you represent all of those things, the the individual athlete, your brand, and just the growth and advancement of USA weightlifting on a larger scale. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad you, you put it that way because that is true. Sometimes I feel like I'm wearing uh, multiple hats, you know, at, at certain meets, 
Um, and, you know, I, I would say the short answer to um, my, I guess, my ultimate goal, my plans for every athlete is really to set reasonable, attainable, reachable goals. I mean, that's step one. I mean, to I've had beginners, intermediate, and they're fun. They're really great to have. Sometimes far less stressed than the elite, if you know what I mean. But uh, they can be unrealistic, you know. Um, and uh, the goals they set for themselves, you know, unfortunately for many uh, athletes beginning, their goals are all set around the PR, the digit, the income, the strength. Uh, but we as coaches need to see beyond that and know that the progress can be measured um, outside of just those PRs. I mean, that's not the only way to quantify training. And um, so, you know, step one is I, I do annual plans with my athletes. Um, believe it or not, sometimes they're very casual, almost passive conversations while sitting down while I'm while they're training. And I'll sit next to them and we kind of um, go over an annual plan. Um some others want to sit down with me and we kind of map it out meet by meet, month by month in a formal meeting. Um, every 12 months for every athlete, I like to map out which one uh, or which two are the most important meets. Um, everything else um, has different agendas. We come up with uh, unique goals that have nothing to do with PRs. Uh, I believe, and this is my, my philosophy for many years now, I believe that uh, beginners and intermediates they should tr they should compete frequently, but that is not to say that they need to attempt new PRs at all those frequent meets. We can we know now yeah. in weightlifting, and it's very it's uh, it's highly recommended to take beginners and intermediates to multiple local meets, some national meets, logical uh, adaptation, the comfort. Being um, at these meets, dealing with the stress, you're going to have some failures, you're going to have some success. Um, I think the more advanced my athletes get, mm -hmm. the less we compete. There are fewer tournaments that I put them in uh, or they even want to go to, honestly. Um, and um, I know one day those athletes who stick around long enough with me I know that one day they'll be in a situation, third attempt, clean and jerk, for the medal, for the win, for, I don't know, the record, for you name it, um, any any accolade, for a U.S. team. Um, and they need to make that lift in a clutch. Um, I would expect their bodies are in a, in a, in a place where – they can be successful with the lift, uh, but psychologically, do they have the mental strength to do it? Have they been in that scenario before? Um, you know, and early on in the development, uh, you know, let's look at what's so unique. What's unique about a competition environment? You know, you you have multiple um, factors outside of training that are just completely different than training. You got a singlet, potential weight cut, a clock competitors three judges in front of you you're lifting when they tell you you must lift whether you're ready or not um all of these play into the psyche of the athlete and early on this can negatively affect them and their performances so the frequent competitions we go to the more we go i think the more comfort comfortable they become within themselves they learn a lot about themselves um and that's going to be highly useful highly beneficial later in their career so um that's what i would say annual plans and we start with the most realistic goals and map out which one or two are the most important meets yeah i i can't quite put a number on it but to think how many times i've had a conversation with a budding weightlifter or someone even who's just new to weightlifting for whom the psychological and the psychological stressors are they're, they're quite real especially if you haven't encountered them before but for whom they feel like competing and training, like you said, are just completely different beasts. It's like, well, I can do this in training. Why am I not there on the platform? And and to, to see that process of more frequent exposure in the beginning 
to just kind of feel out those differences between training and competition. And we'll get more into the evolution of technique and perhaps the evolution of how an athlete would be coached in, in various stages of their development. But you know, for most athletes, it, it'll take some time for them to get to a spot where they can really express those, I'm going to lift when I want to lift in my home gym where I'm comfortable with the best technique that I've ever developed exactly how I would lift on the platform. And, and for I think for most athletes, uh, as you just alluded to, that's hard. They want to be setting records and they have these unrealistic expectations. So for a weightlifting coach, when they're choosing their attempts or for an athlete, that's very, very valuable information. I think it's why while the sport has grown and Danny, while you've done a lot to advance the sport, we got a lot of new athletes coming into, or sorry, new athletes with new coaches coming into the sport. And we see, at, for instance, at national meets, perhaps, a lot of backups or misses and just not really good expectations as yeah. for where to start and how to approach it perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And I love the fact that the sport is growing and there's new uh, people uh, coming in, um, but they need to be taught, right? They're not coming in with this knowledge or experience. And it's our job. I feel as a, as a veteran of the sport, um, I, I kind of feel like it's like my duty you know, um, yeah. and, uh, anytime I'm given the opportunity to, I will help out and assist. Um, sometimes even to my detriment, you know, I will, I will be available. Uh, for instance, USA weightlifting and for maybe some of your listeners, listeners who don't know, uh, the Thursday, the day before, uh, competition of every national tournament I host, uh, or I conduct what's called a newcomer's briefing. Uh, on behalf of USA Weightlifting, it's about 30, 45 minutes where I run down what is different at national level competitions and what to expect at that level than where they came from at local levels. And let me tell you, I've been doing it for three years now. I think the junior nationals that are coming up just days away from this conversation uh, that I'm flying out to will be my 14th national meet that I conduct this briefing. And at every single one... Oh, are you there, Danny? I am. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Cut out a bit. At, at, at every single meet, sorry, it cut out right before you said uh, what, what you've experienced there. Oh, yeah. At every single meet, it's standing room only. Oh, wow. 30 plus, 40 plus, I think the smallest um, in attendance, smallest group I've had, I, I couldn't remember. It might have been the American Open Finals. Um, in Anaheim uh, just a couple months ago. And that would make sense since at that level in Anaheim, every mo the majority of the people, they're not first-timers getting to that level. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the smallest group, and I still had 25 people in, oh, the, yeah. uh, in the group. So that just goes to show you uh, to the you know to the growth of the sport. For sure. And, you know, I, I, the way I describe meets to my athletes, especially as they're coming up, is that it's it's not a period to your training cycle. It's kind of this ellipsis, so to speak. It, it's it's bridging between, right? We don't have to hang our hat. Uh, we 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 can see it as the stepping stone, and, and they'll kind of roll their eyes at me, and, and they know it, but they might not believe it. And I remember when I first started coaching, it was like, man, if uh, I would I would bank on it going perfect, if not nearly perfect, and if it didn't go well, I. I well, then I would be so fearful of that. But then when you're in the sport long enough and accept that that might happen, you can better help your athletes on a psychological and emotional level to know realistically that it's not all rainbows and butterflies. And along that line, with your athletes who you've worked with for many years, what do you do in training and in competition to, to foster and to help strengthen those those relationships uh, those relationships where when that athlete is uh, turning to you for a call or for what weight choice or if they've bombed out you know, what work has gone in behind the scenes to help really make that a productive relationship well i'll tell you there's two things i do <clears throat> one uh, and I, I even do this as it relates to uh, daily training heavy training I do my best to inform the athletes of what to expect, you know, um, and, and that helps mental strength long term. Um, and now I brief 
every one of my athletes, I tell them two main points as it relates to the competition at hand. One, doesn't matter where you start, it matters where you end. And that is most important um, when it comes to attempt choicing. Um, first attempts mm -hmm. belong to the coach. Let me decide that. Second attempt belong to the competition. You never know what your competitors are going to push you to do. And if there's anything left, then third attempt belongs to the athlete. I'll let them do whatever they want to do. Uh, and I make them a deal. I know you have fixed digits in your mind. You have fixed digits you want to hit. But if you let me choose the start and in the middle, I promise, promise, whatever's left you can have and you can take a huge jump and you can have your day. You can do whatever you want. Um, I think that's important. It has nothing to do with ego. It has to do with the fact that, one, my job is to coach. A coach is facilitating this competition. And as such, mm -hmm. I'm looking at the scoreboard. I'm watching the others. The athlete needs to be focusing on what they themselves are doing. Um, and since I have more information, I should be granted that authority to make the best call for first attempt, maybe second attempt. Uh, the other thing that I do um, is that... Um, I let them know, no matter what in your mind you have, days, weeks, months in advance to hit at this competition, do not get fixated on it. Mm -hmm. You may have it in the back of your mind. That's fine. But no matter what you have in your mind, do not get fixated on it because game time sometimes dictates we deviate. And if you are not prepared mm. to, and this is a direct quote I repeat every time, be prepared to hit whatever we need to hit, sometimes less, sometimes more, but be prepared for whatever and don't a certain digit. I think you become more more malleable, right? Um, the it's it's good for the coach to maintain yeah. composure because. We coaches, and I'm sure coaches are out there listening to this right now, we freak out too, man. We're nervous. Man, I'm scared half the time. I've, I am, I am <laughs> I'm nervous for my beginner because I am proud of their development and I really want them to walk away with a good experience. And I am nervous at the highest levels where a silver medal was earned, Maddie Rogers, this past year. Huge man. I mean, I, I joked huge. with somebody. Um about that recently that, you know, um, I was there for days before she competed, but I had the perspective of the spectators and training hall. Um, and I got to see from the front, but when I, it was my turn to, as the U S as one of the U S coaches called upon to the back warm up area. Um, and I'm doing my job. Maddie's doing her job. We walk out and it was the first time I had the perspective of the coach, uh, as it relates to the crowd. Um, and it yeah. was jam-packed stadium, lights, music had turned down. I saw multiple cameras, multiple live stream. I think ESPN was there, man. I mean, I yeah. walked out and the <laughs> lights hit me for her first attempt. Oh, I got scared, right? And uh -huh. but athletes who are the ones also under tension, under duress. They always need reassurance, right? I mean, that's just human nature. When you are in that flight or fight scenario, um, we all seek reassurance and information. And it's up to the coach to be that rock, to provide that reassurance. And uh, not to go off on a tangent, but you know, one of my philosophies is don't ever come undone as a coach. Um, and that's for positive and negative emotional responses. Um, mm -hmm. Bad days, you got to keep it together for the athlete. Um, happy days, wonderful days. Let's not cheer so much. I'm freaking out. I forget to even hug my own athlete. Right? So composure um, <laughs> is very, very true. But, you know, you know, the competition and, and for my athletes, um, at every level, I tell them, this might be our goal, but be prepared for a change. Because if I need less or if I need more on that scoreboard for you to attempt uh, to reach uh, a goal, you got to be psychologically ready to make that uh, flexible change. Uh, I'll conclude. 
uh, by saying I've had too many athletes for weeks leading up to a competition. I'm going to open at 100 kilos. I'm giving you a hypothetical. I'm going to first attempt 100. They're talking mm. to everybody about this 100. They wrote it down on a piece of paper. It's on. They've wrote. They've written it on their weightlifting shoes, so they see it every repetition. <laughs> I am going to do this, Coach. This is my plan. All right. For days they dream about it. They're 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 outside of the gym and they're concentrating on this. Day of competition comes. They're warming up. They're still stuck on this 100. And uh oh, I look at the scoreboard, and things are going in our favor, working in our favor, and I see. 97 opener, which is less, will lock in bronze medal, as an example. And if I can lock in that bronze medal, then we can jump up and climb for a higher one. But at the bare minimum, my athlete walks away with hardware, right, Zach? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. here we are. So I have made that change, and I turn to my athlete, guess what? Good news. We don't need what we want, 100. And we can try it on the second attempt, but guess what? We don't need it now. Things are uh, looking bright for us. I'm lowering you. But, 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 but coach, but coach, 100. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. But listen, we don't need it. We're going for the short bet. You're going to walk away with a medal at the bare minimum bronze. Okay, so they're so stuck on it. Now it's argument. Now it's, they're, they're being contrary. It's stuck in their head. They don't think you believe in them. Who knows what's going to happen? And I'm telling you this from experience, man. And maybe they go out and they miss that first attempt. Maybe the day gets Maybe yeah. they pull it off. But I just described a scenario that is unnecessary. And it was all because I let my athlete for days dwell on a number that we ends up not even being a factor. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so true. And, and I, I think what... Well, I, I love how the very first thing you said is actually verbatim something I've used yeah. with my athletes. So it's good to know we're doing some things right. And that is it's not it's not where you start, it's where you finish. And uh, a way that uh, along those lines of what you just mentioned, settling for something outside of what they had anticipated for where they wanted to start. And, and a way that I like to think about it is that the meat is almost like a microcosm of yeah. the whole training cycle leading up, right? Uh, we don't want to max out when we start a cycle because then we don't have momentum. We want to start with room to go. And then maybe somewhere in the middle, the training is influenced by fatigue. And when it's good, maybe we push more. If it's not so great, we don't push as fast. And then if we get towards the end of the rope, maybe, you know, maybe we turn it over to the athlete for how much we, yeah. we try to gain some confidence in, in training. Um, but th just that, that's that, that line of, it's not where you finish, it's where you start, man, that, cause we see it all the time, uh, people equating openers to their maxes, not to where they could ultimately end up. Um, and, and, and that I think alone can help athletes tremendously, especially considering, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that the psychological considerations and what that might do to your performance presents the competition platform to be almost completely different to the training platform, certainly different with elite athletes, but it's not, if you can take uh, one thing away from a uh, competition standpoint, I think that line, it's where you, it's not where you, uh, it's not where you start. It's where you finish is, is so spot on. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, truly. Now, yeah. And um, so in this time you've, you, you know, uh, you've been around the sport for, for quite some time and, and you've had the time to develop these great relationships and, and bring athletes to peak levels of performance most recently on, on the highest of stages. Um, and, and congrats again to you and Maddie. It's just, it's so big for you guys. It's so big for the sport. Um, it's, it's fantastic as a fan. It's, it's remarkable. Um, and just as someone who enjoys sport and who's Thank you. representing uh, or pulling for Team USA, it's it's just it's so cool. Um, but what I want to ask is between Maddie's silver medal and when you put away the athlete shoes for the coach's shoes, 
what do you see as being the biggest changes that you've adopted a two-part question changes that you've adopted in the progression for an athlete from a support level maybe perhaps the degree to which you're involved on the emotional side uh, or the psychological side and secondly to what degree have you perhaps changed your thought or or in your mind improved your thought process on technique perhaps for different individuals and perhaps at different times. So first, if you want to address how the psychological and emotional involvement with your athletes has changed, and then second, we can go into perhaps those technical changes or even programming changes. Yeah, man, I can answer both. Um, that's a wonderful question. <clears throat> and, uh, and I love this question. I will tell you this. Um, part one, uh, the biggest change and evolution I feel I've gone through as a coach, um, and, and to answer your your statement, I am currently in my 19th year of coaching. Uh, I did start when I was fairly young because I retired from the sport fairly young, biologically young, I should say. Um, and I got a head start, I think, and I'm, I'm very happy about my progression as a coach. Um, I think the biggest thing that I have changed my approach on as it relates to your question is the more advanced the athlete will become or becomes, the more I allow them to call the shots and make mm. decisions. I feel the athlete must take more ownership and accountability of their careers as they get older. Um, and I don't mean just age biologically. I mean athletically mature. Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning, the coach is everything. These athletes, they don't know what the heck they're doing. You need to make this decision. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes there's growing pains. As they slowly become more aware, you might still butt heads with them. You don't mean to. You don't want to. Rapport's huge mm -hmm. in this individual sport, even though they have, there's, there's team division implications there. But um, I, um, I used to have the philosophy of I'm the coach. I need to make all the decisions. Sure, I consult with them. Because you need you need to still work within their scope of confidence and their scope of physical abilities, um, but outside of that, I, it's my decision. This is programming. This is what we're gonna do, and I and I didn't understand early on in my coaching career that the athlete uh, needs to call more and more of the shots. Now, you would think that I um, that I would have understood this sooner because I was uh, an elite junior athlete i competed as a junior in senior level competitions like the senior pan ams uh, back then and, you know but i retired early and i remember feeling like i wish they would let me take a little bit more time off here or work on other things mm -hmm. and looking back in retrospect had i been more boisterous perhaps i would have gotten those things and perhaps i would have lasted longer in my career as a coach i really didn't think about that until i started developing elite athletes years and years ago um you know uh maddie is my 14th international athlete that i develop um uh my ninth from scratch completely not knowing anything about the barbell so i'm you know definitely proud of that yeah and you know the talent that's been able to walk in through my gym because listen you could be the best coach out there you still need the right athletes you know to respond mm -hmm. respond well to your training um, and, 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 and trust you and, you know, believe in you. So there's, there's a whole, you know, call them the nine planets, if you will. But, um, <laughs> you know, my first few international athletes I developed, wow, 11, 12 years ago, um, they, uh, they taught me that there's a point in time I need to back off, less cueing, let them figure themselves out a little bit more. Um, and that's the biggest change. Uh, the, the more advanced, more elite my lifters become, the more they do call the shots. I wouldn't say they write their own programming. It's not the influent programs I write for them. Mm -hmm. um, if they'll come in and say, Coach, I, I want to work on blocks today. It says, you know, groundwork. I'll ask them why. A beginner is going to tell you, well, it looks cool. I saw it online. Okay. Yeah, no, you're going to do what it says. <laughs> uh, but in advance, we'll give you a good analytical response and say, 
well, last time I did blocks, coach, I felt oh, I was more aware of A, B, and C, and that translated better into my normal lift from the ground. And now you're looking at an athlete who's just become so much more in tune with themselves. You have to listen to that, coach. You cannot let that ego or take it as a blow to an ego. Your program is great. Your coaching is great. They're just trying to have a say-so. They want to contribute to their own careers, and you've got to let them do it. So I'll conclude that topic or that one point with this one example. Mm -hmm. uh, since we've talked about Maddie Rogers a few times, I'll bring her up. I'll use her as my example. She's not the only one I do this with, but I'll use her as an example. Every competition, I would write out her entire warm-up from barbell to the last one and time it to our first attempt. I don't do that anymore with her. She'll done weighing in. We'll go to the warm-up area. Actually, in the moments before we actually got to start mobilizing, she will, I'll ask her to provide it for me, pad, paper, whatever, pencil, pen, and she will write her warm-ups um, fully um, um, with uh, pee breaks as well. She needs her pee breaks. And she tells me how many times she'd like to take the barbell, how many times she wants to take a certain load before increasing um, the jumps. I don't even – I take those and now I facilitate that for her. Um, that, that is not yeah. because she's Maddie Rogers. It's because it, she could have been any athlete who knows where she's at and what works for her. Um, and I have to facilitate that for her. So mm -hmm. that's that's my answer to 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 the approach um, on 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 the athlete themselves, at least psychologically. And, but and and to, to important to state that the trust that it takes for her to be able to do that is cultivated over time, uh, and having seen not just results, but what you touched on earlier, that rock of a support. You know, Maddie Rogers is not going to just turn her warm-ups over to anyone to facilitate the rest. Even if you don't write out the warm-ups yourselves, requires just as much strategy and counting and timing and, and managing of stressors as, as you would otherwise. But that requires such time, right? I, I, I once heard... Uh, trust described as like this filling up of a marble jar like if you don't have any marbles in the jar there's really no trust there but you just have to keep putting marbles in the in the jar and eventually once your jar is full of marbles then you, you have like something to draw off of you know that that person's actions are going to be consistent with what you anticipate so it speaks to to you as well uh, for sure yeah i'd agree with that M moving moving on uh, danny from that and in, in getting into the technical side of things in both training and competition is that you very commonly see new coaches, and I can't speak to this as much because I'm not in, in new coaches' gyms, but at least in competition, you often know who the new coach is based on how often they're speaking on game day, on a day when you otherwise want those, those details hammered out. They're often... Uh, speaking or cueing excessively and how would you say going into this technical side of things your your perspective on technique has changed not just on game day but in training as well oh man that's can that is right there the biggest um change or development i myself evolution i myself uh experience as a coach I began coaching and I had it set in my mind what perfect technique should look like. And I would often, when the athlete would begin to lift every position in chronological order before they even grab the barbell. And I don't know, some people really do thrive on that, but the majority don't. Um, mm -hmm. I also made the mistake early in my coaching career to coach myself in others. Um, I, I think I would... I would look at someone and imagine knowing as the athlete what that must feel like and this is what I would do for me. So I'm trying to coach myself in them and that failed. Um, <laughs> and I think over time I've learned um, cue less 
give them time to figure out everything in between, coaching every body a little different. Yeah. Um, certain cues I've developed. I mean, the longer you do this, the more you have in your library, right? Um, and I've uh, stolen quite a few cues. I am the biggest cue thief there is, man. <laughs> um, simply, by, simply by nature of being in it for 19 years. Yeah, that's it, man. You've accumulated uh, a bunch. And, you know, a lot of them come from the athlete themselves. Yeah. They'll commit an error. You help them fix the error. When they do, you ask them, what did it feel like or what must you have been thinking? And whatever comes out of their mouth is what you now use for them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the easiest one. But I think technique and style. I mean, I'd have to give you examples, much like uh, where the barbell should be set up on start position. I has changed. Early arm bend, Zach, that's a big one. Um, you know, I was raised, arms should never bend too soon. If they do, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But I coached exactly what I did. I saw an athlete do it. Automatically, I would spend I would spend extra time on the weekends if I had to to fix things. I don't feel that way any longer. I think that when uh, I have athletes early arm bend, I think I, I – I look at the severity of it or whether or not it's hindering their movement before I make a decision that it's the type of early arm bend that should be fixed. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a few other, you know, things like that, real small but technical issues um, that I've changed my philosophies on. Things I used to say are absolutely not acceptable, I kind of do now. Um, and I just gave you one. Um, in competition, I used to also my nervous tension. Mm. Now I've, I feel uh, if we are at a competition, that means whatever the heck we do daily, this is what we have to work with. Stick to it. Make no changes. Get through the competition. You can reevaluate afterwards. And I will give a fraction of the cues I normally do as they walk out to the main stage. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the and he actually made a post about this not too long ago, and this kind of perhaps comes to the simplification of, or not it's not a minimalist uh, approach, but perhaps seeing the bigger picture involves queuing less. If if you'd agree with that statement, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, go ahead. Well, maybe that this in this particular example you had mentioned how. Uh, you have changed your idea on looking at bar path as being a really great representation yeah. uh, of a solid lift or the outcome of, of the lift in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. And when I, uh, when I read that post, I was reminded that uh, when I, when I started lifting, I would catch the bar right over my, my base of support and turn to the coach and ask, well, was that right? And then the coach said, well, despite all the things that have gone wrong, the bar is secured over your head and, and you, you have it. And uh, it stayed close to your body. And, and that kind of spoke to me as, well, I don't have to maybe obsess about the details if the outcome is there. And, and I think what he was trying to get at the time was that the bar path was there, which, yeah. which to me kind of helped me realize what ultimately mattered. And if I was making a change, perhaps why that change would be made yeah, efficiency and, matters. Efficiency, you know, and yeah, and uh, you know, and I'm glad you brought up that in that post. I'm glad you read it. Um, you know, I like to share information with coaches out there. Um, I mean, I'm not the only source in the industry, but I'm a source. And when I post, it's free, <laughs> you know. Um, but that I can't help but say this this following uh, fact about coaching athletes: the beginner, the intermediate. They grow used to uh, cues, eyeballs on them every single rep they do. And it's because you have to. Mm -hmm. And because so much can be wrong at that or those early stages, they look to you and they turn to you and they say, how was that, coach? And you have something to say. It's always funny to me that when they become more consistent and they get better at what they're doing, they hit a perfect lift. And they will still turn to you and question it and yeah. question it, Zach. And then what's up? 
And that, that, that's what I was doing when I had the bar over my head. Yeah. I was questioning it. And it's like, it. man, you've been told, you know that you're working so hard and getting better. And then when you finally hit one, that's great. You don't even know it. Yeah. And then yeah. And it's even, it's even funnier for the coach because now the coach says, good, thumbs up. Whatever you do to confirm there is nothing to coach on that one. And they still don't want to accept it. <laughs> yeah. Interesting how that happens. Interesting as, as, as that occurs with, with athletes. It is. And, 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 you know, I think um, one of the, the points that I want to finish on, and, and this might just be selfish because I'm, I'm really asking for uh, personal uh, interest and, and looking to just gain, gain some inspiration or insights on, on how other people manage this particular uh, topic. And that is when you've had athletes for so long and when you have a relationship that is built on trust for us, it's largely in beginning uh, people's journey out of injury. We start with good trust. And with that, of course, comes the psychological and the emotional and all that goes into training. And because in America, we don't have our athletes in camps where we're monitoring their every interaction and relationship, etc. What is your or how do you see your level of involvement with that which isn't specific to the sport, but which impacts their performance. I know many coaches have different perspectives. Some coaches are there just as the weightlifting coach and weightlifting coach only. Others are there as a little bit more source of emotional support. Does that look different now than it used to? Um, Does it look different for different athletes just because you can only give so much of your emotional time, certainly? Yeah, um, I'm gonna go with, I'm a jack of all trades, Zach. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I mean, my, my, my coaching staff often pokes fun at the fact that I seem to be a counselor at times, you know? Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm not going to say that changed a whole lot. I, I think from day one coaching up until this conversation, um, I have been pulled and drawn more and more into athletes, personal lives. Um, they do trust and if you have rapport, you may just be the weightlifting coach, but many, not all, will see you as more than that. Um, and they may sit down with you to kind of share and disclose work-related issues, um, parent-related issues, um, you know, for my young ones. And that's a real tricky one because you know, oh, yeah. You know, you you wanna you want to maintain their trust. You don't want to violate that. At the same time, maybe they tell you something that the parent needs to know, and you can't keep you can't keep to yourself. Um, yeah. And and those are those are real real tricky ones. Uh, and there's you know ways out of that that I've 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 put myself in, uh, or out of for that matter. Um, sometimes, just they want to share with you their 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 thoughts during training, um, and. You know, there are some coaches, like you said, they just see themselves as a weightlifting coach, nothing else, and they don't want to hear it. They don't no. want to even touch it, they, and they won't, and that's fine. That's great. That works for them. Um, I believe I coach and I motivate through my relationships. I, I, I think I like to think I inspire through my relationships, uh, not out of fear, um, as the coach and the authoritative, uh, you know, um, being in this in the gym. That hasn't changed a whole lot, I would say. I think even now, 19 years later, if an athlete wants to confide in me about something or just get something off their chest or tell me some bad news, good news, maybe that might affect training, I listen. I do listen and I provide some advice without putting me, of course, in some legal liability position mm-hmm. uh, because I think it not only helps me communicate with them on the floor and to find the trigger that keeps them motivated, but it also just makes them um, trust you more and build rapport. So I, I can't say that that part has changed a whole lot. I think if anything changed is that I don't insert myself as much as I used to. I kind of wait for them to ask. As a younger coach, I think I used to get mm-hmm. nosy and be more involved and uh, and just stick my nose in their business a lot of times. But now, now I do wait for it. That would be the only change, but I am always open. And I have an open door policy to uh, to help the athletes sometimes outside of the barbell. Yeah, and, and for me personally, that alone is 
simultaneously the most rewarding and the most challenging thing oh yeah about what i what what i do from a, a coaching standpoint yeah and uh, and it's as a coach you know you you want you have to be able to be there for all of your athletes and have the time and energy to not just have your own life of course i mean well to not just be there for your own athletes but to be able to take care of yourself oh. i think sometimes coaches uh forget about this and they're almost too giving of and serving uh don't don't let my wife hear that statement <laughs> but but it, it is a it is a challenge uh, for coaches if you don't if, if I'm, as I'm sure you agree and as you're alluding to right now is that that giving of time is what draws us to coaching it's kind of in our nature but it also can be a double-edged sword where if, you know we talk about athletes recovery we talk about athletes taking uh, care of themselves outside the gym but you know when you're a coach too I don't feel like enough people talk about that the not spreading of yourself thin, the recovery time, because it does take such compassion and care. Yeah. Yeah, that was a tough one. I mean, you've asked me a few questions about change and what has changed in my life um, and my approach um, with weightlifting and my athletes, both technical um, and for the spirit of what we do. That has been probably the hardest thing to overcome Um both my coaches that I've, I had, they both remained active in my career. The, you know, um, I, I had my developmental, my starter coach, and then the national coach, the Olympic coach, took over when I was a member of the OTC resident program. Uh, my first coach did not go away. I didn't leave one for the other. Just one became primary. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, both um, were very selfless, especially my first coach. Um, and they always put athletes first. You would see them sacrifice like parents do uh, for the comfort and the uh, betterment of the athlete. And I watched this, and it, and I just took that Zach as the norm. Yeah, and so, but it's not. It's really not. No, it's not. <laughs> not and and because of that, as you just said, it's not. Now we have newer coaches who are coming in, and there is some money to be made. There is some, um, there is a profession here that 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 resides, and there wasn't before. And so now it goes from coaches are expected to, in my mind, are expected to make a trip, spend out of pocket. For national tournament, even if there's only one athlete, because that one athlete is improving and you want to see mm -hmm. them do well, to now it's coaches aren't expected to do that unless they're getting paid, unless their their expenses are paid for, um, or coaches not going to a tournament just because there's only one athlete and as if they need more before they justify making the trip. Yeah. Right? And, and, and the thing is it's hard because – Let's call that new mentality, right? Mm -hmm. It's not wrong. You know, it's not wrong. It's just really not tradition, and it's not the way that I was, I was brought up in the sport. So I struggled with that and always being accessible to the athlete and spreading myself thin. And as my program grew and more and more athletes were joining my program, it's it's much harder to be there for everyone, and I still found a way to do it, but it did affect my personal life a little bit, you know. Um, I, I couldn't join my kids on vacations as frequently as they went and things like that, and that has been the hardest thing. And now I think I have found a place in my coaching career now to certain opportunities. I can decline mm -hmm. certain trips. Um, where before, especially trying to build my brand, as you mentioned early on in this in this conversation, um, you have to say yes to everything. Yes. I would do seminars for free, Zach. I would. Oh yeah. I would, I'd put flyers on windshield wipers of cars at the mall. <laughs> okay. I've done it, man. I've I've traveled and not made any money just to teach people to spread my love of the barbell and hopefully one day make a living. And there's coaches doing that now, and I always believed that is what what must happen, 
and one day I'll get to a financial stable position. And I think there may be some new coaches who don't understand that, and maybe they see that as, you know what, this is not going to work, so maybe they quit too soon, yeah. quit too early. Um, but, you know, quitting coaching is just just something I'm not going to do. I think, I mean, this is what I was born to do. I'm very happy to do it. I want to do it all the way till I die, honestly. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, then that means I'm too old to keep up with the athletes. So maybe <laughs> I'll get into some little admin job or something. Really <laughs> thing. I don't know. Uh, but I am happy to say that after 19 years, and much sooner, it's been a few years now, it's okay to say no. Um, coaches need time for themselves and their families as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, no, no better evidence than what a coach looks like at the end of a long uh, competition than what the athlete looks like, perhaps. Uh, it, it is uh, it, it is uh, quite draining uh, and oftentimes in all the good ways. Uh, but but we, we too need that time to, to rest and repair. Uh, well, Danny, thank you so much for your honesty today, the, the overwhelming amounts of information that are not just actionable, but come from years of experience. And thank you so much for what you've done for the sport and just uh, the enthusiasm that you share for it, I think is something that if you are a coach, and you are feeling that level of almost spread too thin, it, and you don't have that enthusiasm anymore, well, then perhaps it's time to make some change so you can revisit that enthusiasm and the reason why you started in the first place. And for athletes, hopefully you too uh, gained some valuable, valuable information and maybe gained new insight into the life uh, and considerations of your coach. Danny, uh, thanks so much for your time, uh, and, and thanks for hopping on with us. You're welcome. It's fun. I'm more than welcome to do it in the future. If you think of any other topics, I'm always available for you. And uh, I appreciate the the opportunity. Uh, anytime to talk about the barbell. You got it. All right. Thanks, Danny. Have a good one. You too.